a six-month sprint to run a marathon. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Keith Kirkland, co-founder at WearWorks. Welcome, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. What does WearWorks do, and what prompted you to start the company? So WearWorks, we build products and experiences that communicate information through touch. And our first product is called Wayband, and it's a wearable haptic navigation device for the blind and visually impaired. Haptic just means other relating to the sense of touch, and we basically figured out a way to point someone toward an end destination using only vibration. Um, we started the company, me and I have two co-founders, and we all walked in wanting to create a company that would basically uh, was centered around like designing what we call haptic design, using haptics and using a sense of touch to design products and experiences. Me and my co-founders, we all walked in through, this, through different doors. My personal door was I basically spent the previous year of my life trying to build this suit that you can download Kung Fu into and then a seat would teach you using, you know, vibration. Um, and so that was the door that like showed me the opportunities of what haptics could do. And then I realized that there was a major, major problem. Uh, one was that like all the technology for the suit could be, you know, it was readily available today to kind of build it. And I was like, why didn't no one build this? And I was like, oh, because if I want you to raise your wrist off of the table using vibration, how do I tell you to do that? Um, and so we realized that we needed a language to communicate information through touch with. And so that's kind of where we all came together and was like, okay, let's build out this product and let's start it in a much simpler form of movement navigation as opposed to Kung Fu so that we can understand like what this haptic language needs to be. And then once we understand it and learn it, we can take it to more complex ideas uh, and build you know, different types of experiences. So that's kind of how it all started. How does Wayband work? I mean, what are the elements of the system? Yeah, so you have a wrist wearable device. Um, and so the device gives you vibration directly to the underside of your wrist. You have a mobile uh, application that is, uh, lives on your smartphone right now. We've only built it for iOS, uh, Android coming soon. Um, and uh, basically they talk to one another through Bluetooth connections. And so, the easiest way to say kind of what it does is like, if you can imagine that uh, Pac-Man's open mouth is the right way to go, and then everything else is some varying degree of wrong, right? And so if you were looking bird's eye view, you have Pac-Man here, everything else is wrong. And so what we've done is, is we give you a vibration, actually we give you no vibration when you're in the cone of brightness. We call that the haptic corridor. And basically what it does is when you get too far angularly from the heading of your end destination or the next transition point, which is usually an intersection uh, where the directions will change, if you twist too far to the left or too far to the right, you get a slight vibration and the wronger you get, the stronger and more annoying the vibration gets until you're all the way the wrong way where you get the most annoying vibration we can design for you. And the idea is that like when you you twist and the vibration gets lighter and ultimately you feel nothing. And when you feel nothing, you know that that's the right way to go. And so we've tried this on several hundred people. Uh, most people can figure out the right way to go in about 10 seconds. And all that we do is say, can you spin around? Okay, now stop in a direction that you feel the device is telling you is the right way to go. Um, most people get it within about 10 seconds and we know how to point you to a, a straight line we know where you are because we have GPS in your phone. We know the next intersection because we built the mapping application that mapped that out. 
that's usually a straight line in most cities. And so we could navigate you, you get to the point, and when you collect that point, you get a, like a whoop whoop, kind of like a dot collection com confirmation. And then we dynamically change the haptic corridor and point it at the next direction. So now this will be the right way and you'll have to find the new direction. And so that's how we can effectively give you turn by turn navigation through an entire city and you don't have to hear anything and you don't have to see anything. What about permanent obstacles like curbs or temporary objects, even like moving vehicles? How does the user navigate these? So when a person becomes blind or visually impaired, they go through what's called orientation and mobility training. This is where they learn how to get taken environmental cues to understand exactly where they are. Uh, things that we kind of take for granted, um, you get a lot of information through sight, but when sight is absent, you realize that there's a lot of information that you have access to. Um, and so what we do is, is we did not go into the space of avoiding obstacles. We actually did. We started off in the space of avoiding obstacles and then we took it to the National Federation for the Blind. And when they saw that, they was like, hey, look, we've been avoiding stuff for hundreds of years. We know how to do this. But that navigation thing that you're doing, go work on that because that is really significant and important. So we kind of dropped everything in the help people avoid stuff space. And we went back to the help people find their way to where they're going space. And so I guess the best way to explain it is that the, the cane or the dog, we're a supplement to that system. And so where they help you, the cane and the dog help you with a localized navigation, micro navigation, stuff around you. Wayband helps you with macro navigation. It helps you get to the post office or the supermarket or the coffee shops meet your friend. Tell us about Simon's story and how that opportunity drove your development. Yeah, so Simon reached out to us. Uh, we had had an article published somewhere and uh, he had heard about the article and he immediately shot us an email. And when it happened, we were super excited because we knew who he was. And Simon, he had done a marathon with IBM's Watson team where he did an ultra marathon through the desert and they built him something that was similar to our technology, but it, it was audio based. And so you can imagine running a few, you know, dozen miles through the desert heat with constant beeping in your ear. Um, it created challenges for him and he was looking potentially at like, how might he do this in a way using haptics, using touch. And then he found our article. So he was like, wait, these guys are already doing it. And so he reached out to us. And when we talked to him, he basically kind of challenged us. So he was like, look, if you could have this device ready by November 5th, I'll run a New York City Marathon. And we were like, there's no way that we're going to have this technology ready by that timeline. And, and second of all, like we were just getting into the space of trying to navigate a person who was blind through a city. Like we had never contemplated the use case of the New York City Marathon. Um, and so, but instead of saying everything that we were thinking, we just kind of said, yes, we can do this. And and then it became like six months of, of a sprint to kind of get this thing as far along as we can to, you know, like make sure that we got Simon like through this race. Because at the end of the day, it was kind of like it has started to get we didn't tell anybody that we were doing it. Like we didn't even tell the marathon and they called us. They found out and it was like, hey, we're the marathon, you know. Uh, well, we, we love what you're doing. It's fantastic. But uh, you need to make sure he runs with backup runners just in case the technology doesn't work out so great. And so we're like, okay, fine. Um, and this story kind of started to get percolated. And so Discovery found out and Forbes found out and 
New York Times found out. And so like all of a sudden it was like, we're doing this very, what was supposed to be small experimental run to see like how well the technology might hold up and like in a very extreme use case. And all of a sudden it became a very public, like everyone is like looking at us to like get through this marathon. So, you know, it was a, it was a lot of pressure <laughs> to say the least. It was a lot of pressure, but, um, you know, like the team really pulled it through. We got through the development goals and Simon was like a pure champion. He just, you know, bugs, fixes, breaks and all. He just kind of wrote with the punches. And so uh, he got through the first 15 miles of the marathon without any sighted assistance at all. And then, you know, we basically were like hot gluing prototypes together the night before and it was pouring down raining. So let's just say that waterproofing is really important. And, you know, that was a very hard lesson learned. Um, but ultimately, like, we, we still proved the point. And, and, and the, most people, when we walked into that marathon, like, didn't know what the word haptic meant. You know, like, and so we were just overcoming these large obstacles of, like, how do you navigate someone haptically? What does haptic even mean? What is that? And so to be able to be in a space where, you know, like, through Simon's kind of, like, grit, that we were able to help him, like, run the marathon like that automatically kind of set the bar, like the solution that we were delivering. And so um, it was a fun, it was, I mean, I, it was fun. I mean, it was fantastic and like amazing and everything, you know, like for us, it was, it was kind of like the, the birth of, of like our recognition and publicity. So it was critical. And congratulations on the success of that. Thank so you, thank you. Absolutely. That leads me to ask then, what are maybe some other use cases where you see haptics being applied? Yeah, so uh, actually when we first got into this, we were, we were really just trying to get people out of their phone and back into the real world. Like, you know, we you kind of see all like data goes one way, it goes like from the physical world into the virtual space and like rarely ever does it come back out. And you know, I think we were kind of really interested in the idea of like physical interactions and just like how can we get people more connected with their phones or I mean more connected with their lives. And that for us was kind of like, let's get them out of their phones while they're navigating. Right. And so we started off with this idea and this use case really for tourism, um, traveling through different countries, like not being able to read street signs, maybe not wanting to pull out a thousand dollar cell phone in a place that might not be necessarily the safest. Um, and so that was like our initial concept, but then just being connected to the people that, you know, we were talking to, you know, like the blind use case immediately, we saw opportunity there, but it really jumped out of us so strongly that we changed directions completely to pursue it. Um, but we do see a huge opportunity for people, runners, because we've worked so much with like the athletic community, um, runners, cyclists, hikers, kayakers, snowboarders, skiers, Anybody that, that does an activity that covers large geographical distances where their eyes need to be focused on what it is that they're doing. Um, and, you know, ultimately that leads into driving. And then we're still in the space of haptic navigation. We haven't even dropped the navigation part and just talked about haptics, right? You know, like with the explosion of AR and VR, right now you have like 364K visuals, right? you know, 5K now, I think, believe, you know, like you have 360 degree audio, right? I can tell that the box dropped right behind me over my right shoulder. But then when I walk to go pick up that box, I still have this fake experience of like pretending like I'm holding something when I'm not. And so 
the real opportunity that we see for haptics is kind of really in this space of basically expanding the human ability to sense this environment. Like so much information is being delivered through our visual channel and through our audio channels and so much competition. We just thought that like if there was a different way to take in information. Like what would that be like to augment the human's ability to take in more information? Um, and so kind of that's our, our, our super far out vision is really the way we see ourselves as a company as a possibility is, is, is we look at ourselves like Bose and like what Bose is for sound is what we want to become for touch. Like anytime you think of high quality touch-based design experiences, like you think of where it works. And so, you know, while this opportunity and working with blind population in particular is like deeply exciting because it's, it's deeply impactful and it's, it's, it's really great when you do work that you really actually feel makes a difference and like helps, you know, the needle of humanity move forward in, in, in some way. But ultimately we got into this because like, there's so much cool stuff to do here. And, you know, like helping people with disabilities, like we've gotten requests from people with hearing disabilities, people with Parkinson's, people with vestibular challenges from inner ears, um, you know, like, so like all this stuff is just kind of like, someone will just reach out to us and be like, hey, can your device do this and, or help these people? And we're like, why would you think our device could help Parkinson's? We have no idea. And then someone would just run a use case and be like, here's what we imagine this device can do for a person with Parkinson's. And I'm like, wow, that is actually brilliant. I've never, yeah, let's, let's try that, you know? Um, so yeah, we, we get a lot of inspiration from just kind of interacting with people and like listening to what they have to say. Keith, Keith Kirkland, co-founder at WearWorks. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your future work, especially in some of those last areas you mentioned. If somebody wants to connect with you, maybe they have a question about how your technology could help somebody with some sort of disability. How can they do that? Yeah, you can reach out to www.wear.works. Uh, that's the easiest way to find us. Thanks again, Keith. And Thank if you, you guys so want to find <laughs> if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.